Hey, this is Brett, and I wanted to talk about something that is pretty important. I wanted to talk today about stress. Stress and its counterpart, suffering. There's so much that goes into this that's difficult to talk about in a grounded way. There are a lot of really great reasons why people have a lot of stress in their lives. So the conversation can't really be too much about are there good reasons for people to be stressed? Because yes, there certainly are. So we have to start with the acknowledgement that a lot of you out there and people in the world, myself, everyone else in the world experiencing stress in their lives, there's good cause. There's a lot of things to be concerned about. Serious stuff, you know, coronavirus, you know, climate change, politics. Am I going to pay the bills? What's my career going to be like? Am I going to get over this? Am I, am I going to get over an illness? My, my relationship is falling apart or I don't have one. I need one. There's so many things. Your job so many things, and we can just kind of walk into this conversation by taking a breath and just acknowledging the fact that these circumstances for a lot of people, maybe for you, I hope not, aren't, aren't great. And even if you do have really great circumstances, there are still things in your life, because we're human, where there's stress. And just taking a breath and going, yeah, this is so. And I'm not saying, I want to be really clear about this, because people get really confused about this approach, which is to say, Yes to your experience. Remember, I've talked about this before. For those of you that have listened, it's not the same thing as saying, I'm okay with what that is, but acknowledging the truth of it. Yes. <sighs> Take a breath and relax. Yes, these things are true. I'm unhappy about work. I don't know what to do about the relationship. I'm not sure about what I'm going to do with my life, career, job, moving. Whatever is on your life, whatever is on your mind, I should say. And you see, right there is the giveaway. Whatever is on your mind. Now, here's, here's what Eckhart Tolle would have you do in this situation. We've just acknowledged that there's a lot of stressors in life. But if you just take a moment and breathe and ask yourself right this minute, and for most of you the answer will be clear, right this moment, if you look around wherever you are, kind of take inventory of what's happening right now. I mean right now. Right now you're listening to me. Is anything else bad happening? I mean, it may be, but for a lot of people, it's not. Or I mean, I don't mean 
happening in an abstract sense, and, and I'm going to explain that in a moment. Like, let's say that um, tomorrow you were going to, I'll use the Eckhart Tolle example, you're going to file bankruptcy. Yeah, that's not a good thing in general. That's tomorrow, right? So right this moment, you can say, yeah, that's that's fact. That's going to happen tomorrow. But it's not happening now, and not in a way of like going, oh, it's not a bad thing. It's something. It's not something that I would rather not have happen. But in this exact moment, is the fact that that's happening tomorrow. making a difference in your moment. And it could be that you're casting your thoughts into the future, going, yep, it's fact, this is going to be terrible, has all these implications, it's going to be not so great in my life. But if you take a moment and I say, okay, I'm a bankrupt person, financially bankrupt. And I'm sitting right next to a guy who's a millionaire. And we both take a moment and we look around the room. Is there any reason that you shouldn't be just as content and happy and peaceful in this moment based on what's happening now as the person next to you? You may go, well, gee, if I had his bank account, then I'd be happy. Would you? Would you really? Because you know what? I have, have talked to millionaires who are deeply unhappy. Because they thought that money was going to bring them stuff, bring them happiness, and it didn't. Now, I am not saying that, you know, if you can't afford the basics, that you don't have a cause to be upset about those things and concerned. But the question is, who are you going to be in the face of these things? Now, I'm talking about some serious stuff here, but a lot of times it's not that serious. People act and respond to events in their world as if they were exceptionally serious when they're really not. And that's where the problem really happens to causes us so much suffering. You can be in dire circumstances and be exceptionally happy. And happiness really isn't even the goal. It's more like peace, right? It's more like... Grounded, content, whole, connected. Because in the end, we are all going to go through the same process. We are all going to face the fact that one of these breaths is going to be our last. And at that moment, we are all equal, my friends. And it isn't going to matter how much money you have in your bank account. Is it going to matter how much glory you had or how you look? And I'm going to ask you to think really seriously. At that moment, what is going to matter to you? And to live your life preparing 
in a way for that point of view. There's no reason you can't bring that point of view into your nail and go, you know, the most important thing is that I am actually connected to the bigger picture of why am I here? What am I doing here on this planet, in this body, in this form? And what am I experiencing now? Am I experiencing anxiety that I don't need to experience? Because my moment right this second really isn't so bad. My house isn't on fire. My car is not veering off the road. There's a beautiful sky outside. There are people that I know who are great. All those things may or may not be in your moment. But the point being that if I am sitting outside or going for a walk and I'm thinking about my the problem that I'm going to have tomorrow or the way that I was wronged a year ago, yesterday, 10 years ago, and I'm feeling somatically, that's what they call the you know, limbic state awareness in, in your brain, the limbic nervous system, the limbic system. I'm feeling the anxiety, the suffering, the pain of that. And it's from the past or it's in the future. I'm literally just summoning the, the, the senses through my thoughts, through my, my not, I would say imagination, but I would say thinking about the way it felt and how bad it was or how wrong it was. And yes, yes, it was bad. And yes, it was potentially wrong. I mean, I say that because I'm just so hypothetical. You, we've all been wronged in some way. You don't get to be an adult in life and not experience some kind of injustice. Some of us wear injustice on our skin. Some of us wear it in hidden scars. And thoughts that demean us or shame us that we don't dare voice. And those are the wounds. And those also are the same sort of thing. They are bringing into your moment a memory of a way you relate to the world a memory of, I'm not good enough. I, a voice comes up, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this. I should be small. It's not worth it. I'm, I, I'm not worth it. Anything that is along the lines of making you small, making you shamed, making you afraid. And, and I mean, I don't mean afraid of like, hey, you're jumping out of an airplane, so you should have some fear. <laughs> yes. But I mean afraid like, I don't want to speak up in a meeting because I'm afraid, but yet I have something to say. That kind of fear. You get tiny, you, get, you contract. And I, like I have a client like that who is afraid to speak up because the experience for her is one where she feels like everybody in the room is smarter than her. And they're not, I guarantee you, they're not. 
But that's what's happening in her head. So where is that? How is that related? Because she's bringing a thought into her moment. And I don't mean to say thought like, oh, it's a, it's whimsical or light and airy and has no weight. But it's only a memory of how she used to be. Now, let me let me explain what I mean. When you're, do you think that any child is born, any infant is having the thought, I, I don't deserve to be fed. I don't deserve to be here. Right? It's silly, of course. There's no thought at all, right? You We don't have language. But as we do get language, it's like, do you, there's nothing like that in humans from the beginning there's nothing like i'm too i'm too much or i'm not enough or i'm this or i'm that now there's the somatic experience of like i'm not maybe not well or i'm not healthy or i'm i'm hungry or i have needs that's different than the kind of thing i'm talking about i'm talking about learning from the outside in at an extremely young age or at some age that you aren't good enough or you're not capable. You're not enough. Now, why is this so powerful? I I had a conversation with Dr. Ron Siegel, who's assistant professor of psychology at Harvard. I uh, host on another podcast called the Organizational Mindfulness Podcast, and I had the great privilege of interviewing him recently. And it was a very interesting conversation. One of the things he said, so he talked he talked about how our brains developed and we developed this comparative capacity in our brain because we need it. It's like our brains developed over millions of years, millions and millions of years. And so how what were the circumstances that caused the circuitry in our brains to be wired the way it is? And one of those characteristics of that circuitry is this comparative. Now, why is that necessary? Because back a long time ago, when we're basically out in the wild and we're struggling to basically um, survive, right, from the, from the elements and from other animals that could kill you or maybe even other tribes— you needed to be able to go, hey, I need to, comp- how am I doing against other men in the tribe who are competing for other women? And other women are going like, how am I doing against other women who are con- competing for the men? And it's a DNA sort of thing in the sense that we all learn to do this comparative analysis to compare ourselves to others in order to kind of get a, Uh, an assessment of where are we in the order of things socially as well. Because it mattered. It was, it's like, am I safe? I'll be safer if I'm with this guy who can carry a big stick. And then at the same time, uh, I'll, as a big stick sort of guy, you know, I want to be able to have a family. And, and I know this is like really, really, maybe triggering for people who are thinking, oh, that's so patriarchal. But I'm not talking about modern modern world. I'm talking about what's it like on the savannah 
um, millions of years ago, and they're literally fighting for your life every day. Physical strength matters. Intelligence matters. Having a tight, you know, tight, being tight with the people that you trust matters. And over time, of course, we got out of those circumstances. There's not, you know, a saber-toothed tiger isn't going to jump out of the woods and out of the park and, and, you know, eat you, right? That's just not happening. But our brains developed this way, this comparative nature. We're like, oh, so these days it's more like, hey, I'm not pretty enough. I don't have a big enough wallet. I don't have big enough, enough bling. It's the same circuitry. And it doesn't work for us anymore in that way, right? Because these things don't matter. These things are not going to determine if you get eaten alive. <laughs> they might, they're going to change the quality of your life potentially in terms of like, you know, you, are you going to have a yacht or are you going to shop at Costco, you know, whichever. And really the question is, now, are you going to let the differentiation between those things determine whether or not this very moment is a rich experience for you? The general, the general teaching, the general notion, the general... arc of learning in being present is that the more you land in the moment, the happier you are. Because the future and the past do not rule the quality of your experience. The future and the past no longer have the authority to pull you into suffering that isn't happening now, your conditions, Eckhart Tolle would say, your conditions are not who you are. I am not bankrupt. I had a bankruptcy happen to me, but I personally am not bankrupt. See how the language works? You go, I'm bankrupt. As if my identity, as if my very soul was bankrupt. But no, my, my, circumstances are that I experienced bankruptcy. I'm just hypothetical, right? I experienced that, but that's not who I am. That's actually, the fact that that happened has actually zero impact on who I am. Because who I am is so much more solid and foundational and not negotiable, not really even touchable, and its core is absolute core by the circumstances of your life. Now that's pretty in there. That's like Buddha-like, right? It's like kind of like, oh, I'm... And I want to be clear, I'm not talking about being detached from impacts. Completely the opposite. Rather than being detached, you're actually letting them impact you fully. But because you are so connected to your truth, 
and you know that the that wave of feeling as strong as it is and that fear and that big deal when it hits you you're so much bigger than that it becomes almost i don't want to say a drop in the ocean because that's a little too small of a experience but you don't need to defend against it because you're so much more so you have a lot less defensiveness happening in your world what well, as krishnamurti said my secret is I'm okay with things. And what he means to say is he accepts the moment. Doesn't let anything get to him because the circumstances of your life are not who you are. Now, once you understand that, once you feel it, it's not enough to just know that in your head. You have to actually get that in your body. You have to feel it as a felt sense. One that you can take a breath and sense into. One you can just relax and let go into so that you know you are not being controlled by your fears or your anxieties, whether they're past or future. Because right now, you're just taking a breath. That's the experience of the moment. Relaxing and letting go. Connecting to the senses, the incredibly refined and exceptionally rich senses that we have. And let that be your ground. And for some people, that's going to go, oh, that's, that's, even that connects me up to big feelings. And, and it should for a lot of people. Now, I want to be clear that there's a subset of people out there who have some significant trauma in their lives. And when you connect to yourself in this way, those feelings begin to pop up. I don't know, pop up is kind of an understatement. They begin to totally overwhelm you. And for those people, you know, a meditation or grounded of this sort, taking a breath, turning inward, connecting to your senses, if you start to feel an overwhelming sense of fear, terror, sh shaking, you know, then don't do it. Uh, Google a thing called trauma-informed mindfulness. Trauma-informed mindfulness, because there is such a thing. There are other ways to go about this work for people who are wired like that. And uh, it takes a specialized approach, because it's a different kind of problem. It's a neurological thing. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just a, um, a fact, once again, like we talked about. It's just a fact. That that's, that's the case. <coughs> now, a lot of people just... A lot of people are confused. They think... Big emotion, everything that has big emotions attached to it is trauma. And that's just not so. You know, there's a lot of big emotion that people can have. Is it traumatic? Traumatic fields, as I call them sometimes, uh, is wired in your brain in a particular way. And I don't want to get into that right now, but um, it matters. And it's not subtle. 
Uh, and so respect that, right? Respect that. But the kind of thing I am talking about is, you know, you're worried about tomorrow. You're worried, you're, or you can't let go of the hurt of a pa- of the past. And you can't. It's a it's a crappy way to live, like that every day, all day. In particular, when you start punctuating that with all the stuff that we have to do, like okay, I've got three kids to deal with, or I've got, you know, a giant workload to deal with, and I've got deadlines and tasks, and I've got 14,000 things on my plate. And then the moment I stop, calm down, you know, I go to all the things I have to worry about. That's how does someone in those circumstances get to a place where they can benefit from this kind of a practice of just learning to be more present in the moment? Because... It's, you know, the reality of your day is so punctuated with gotta do's and impacts and demands. And some of them you can't escape, like children who need you or, or parents that you're or parents that need you, uh, people in your life that are demanding or work that is uh, overly stressful. When you're in those circumstances, it's exceptionally important that you begin to carve some time to to do the work of simply being present with your truth. These things are true for you. You are in a circumstance where these things are just shaking you up. It's kind of like, I've used this analogy before, it's like a snow globe, right? And it's just constantly being shaken. And so once it's since it's constantly being shaken and you hear some guy like me going, well, you just need to sit down and be present with your experience. And you go, are you kidding? My world is completely chaotic. How can I be present with my experience? What I experience is utter chaos. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Now the question is, what can you, who are you going to be that this is so? What? What does that mean? It means if you can't take an action to be different with this experience, then you will live this experience indefinitely until either you break or something changes. Now, is that the outcome that you want? If you just take the situation you've got and you cast it forward, like however long it may last, is that are you having your moment-to-moment experience like you want? And if the answer to that is no, then you have to do something different. Now, that doesn't mean radical stuff. It does mean taking five, ten minutes and stopping everything. Now, you have a brain. You have a nervous system. When you, when you get hungry and you eat something, do you stop being hungry instantly? Does, it, does your hunger just like instantly stop the moment you start putting food in your mouth? No. But take something sweet and put it on your tongue and see how long that taste of sweetness lasts. Is it binary? Is it like, oh, sweet, now it's done? No. When you're running and you're, or you're exercising and you, you, you're huffing and puffing and you're getting your aerobics in, you've got your heart rate up and you stop, does your heart rate just go back to normal? 
No. Why? Because we're organic systems, not computer systems. And because we're organic systems, there is a response time. There's a transition time between states. If you spend eight hours a day, nine hours a day, dealing with shift after shift after shift, demand after demand after demand, flipping through thousands of pages of social media, TikToks, and you know whatever you're whatever you're paying attention to, Instagrams, dealing with work, dealing with taxes, dealing with your car, dealing with you know Uber, dealing with whatever you're dealing with, and then. You sit down and you try to be still for five minutes. You go, I can't be still for five minutes. It's just nothing but chaos in there. What the hell do you expect is going to be in there? You've been shaking the snow globe for eight hours. You've got to take some time to let that neurology calm down. And if you don't, what happens is your executive functions, the part of you, your brain that is like, um, willpowers, um, you know, long-term memory, short planning, sequencing, um, you know, how am I doing, your identity, your ability to kind of figure things out. That part, the higher part, cognitive part of your brain kind of loses its capacity to function as well, and you just live your entire life on automatic. Dealing with, re, dealing reactively to the moment the fastest and simplest way possible. Hi, how you doing? I'm fine. You good? Really? Oh, I got some news. Oh, that's interesting. What about this? What about that? Not really connecting, not really feeling the 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 juice, the, the very connectedness to the fabric of life that is yours to have. looking at somebody and feeling like you know them really deeply because we're both in the same moment. We're both human beings on the planet that have hopes and dreams and fears and hurts. We all share so much in common. And looking at the sky and feeling yourself connected to an an incredible experience of being on this amazing planet with so much beauty. Miles and miles of air above you, no boundary in sight. What an incredible experience that is. And it just goes off into outer space for billions of miles above your head. Wow. And the way the wind moves, shapes the clouds, the light, just like, just like look, watching the, sea, the waves on the sea. It's, there's a rhythm there. There's a, a natural sort of universal song. Uh, it was uh, Carl Rogers who called it the music of the spheres. He said, when you deeply listen to somebody, you can almost hear a universal truth. It's like listening to the music of the spheres. And it can be like that. 
imagine you can have a complex life. And then someone walks in the room and you look at them and you see their woundedness. You see the things that they light up about. You you can know their struggles. And they really kind of haven't said much to you yet. <laughs> and the, empath- the empathic part of you can just wake up. But only if you're able to kind of sit in the eye of the hurricane, right? So it's like that snow globe. You have times where you sit and you just let the snow settle. And you make yourself do it at first. You sit down and you go, okay, I'm, I must take 10 minutes, 15 minutes to do this, or I am not going to survive as, as a, the being that I deserve to be, as the life that I deserve to have. And it's really kind of that important. I'm talking about a, a, like a mindfulness meditation. For, for some of you, maybe just a walk in the forest or a walk outside, walk in the city, find a park, something that's pleasant. And just be with your experience, saying yes to everything. Yes, I have an ache in my hip. Yes, that tree is beautiful. Yes, that person that went by was rude. Yes, that car was driving too fast. Yes, the sky is beautiful. Yes, my life is too chaotic, and I feel the anxiety of it. Yes, I feel the sorrow of not connecting to the depth that I wish to, that I know is true for me. And that's the heart of it right there, is that inside of you, you know the truth. It might not be clear because of the this, this snowstorm, right? But if you sit in the center of this and you just say, yes, I'm in the snowstorm, and you just let that be so, then you begin the process of being bigger than the chaos and feeling yourself. Oh, yeah, I, I see now that when I'm thinking about the things that I I get angry about or upset about, that I'm just making myself unnecessarily angry. It's not changing the truth of them. I want to plan somehow to make it different. But let me plan it from a place where I'm not making myself miserable by doing so. And planning it in a way where you're not attached to the outcome. Like if you're if you're in a situation where you're seeking justice for some wrong that's happened to you, that's a noble cause. But what's going to happen to you if it doesn't work out? And, and I'm sad to say often these days particularly, 
it doesn't. Are you going to let the fact that things didn't work out like you, like they would if we lived in a, a, a righteous world? Are you going to let that wreck you? Car pulls out in front of you. Keep makes you late for an appointment. You walk in, you're late. Things work out, but between that moment and the appointment, are you going to let that incident wreck that interval? So you have a crappy time. Or you could just say, yep, that happened. No amount of making, wishing it was different, or feeling the anxiety of what if, what if it doesn't go well? What if I, what if I get wrong? It's a job. What if I don't get there? They're going to be, they're going to judge me. All of that is just your thoughts about it. And if there's anything that I'm on a mission for that I would like to help people with, it's this. You are not your thoughts. And when you really, truly feel that in your bones, it's what I call the first awakening. It really, really changes everything. I mean, everything. You are not your thoughts. Well, who I made it? Well, let's don't get into the philosophical conversation. <laughs> let's just say that the door opens to the inquiry, to a direct experience then of who you are. And then you're in a situation where, as my first meditation teacher taught me, he said, you'll know and you know that you know. And... Another, some other teachers may have said, like, and this is esoteric and woo woo is crap, but it's sort of like that which cannot be named. And what that means is there just aren't words for some things. You know, you just can't, and trying to put words into them kind of reduces it down to a conceptual framework that's so small that it's not really even representative. There's another way to say this, uh, which is, uh, a, uh, a beautiful way to go, and it's uh, the map is not the territory, right? You don't confuse the map with the territory. That's what I see. You see, for, for example, you know, you're you're looking at a mountain, and someone says, "Oh, it looks just like a postcard." That, well, no, the postcard looks like the mountain, <laughs> right? It's They've got it completely inverted, right? So in your head, someone thinks, oh, I'm thinking of a picture, the picture of a postcard, and the postcard looks like the mountain, and the mountain looks like the postcard. But if you're in contact with the actual experience, you're going, I'm sorry, but the postcard is like not even close to this experience. If I was to write down for you a description of what it's like to go see the Grand Canyon, would that, and you reading it, would it be the same then as if you had gone to see it? Well, check it out. If I wrote to you, what does it taste like to eat cheesecake? And then you eat one, and then you say, was that anything like reading about it? 
<laughs> no, of course, right? So you could say cheesecake has a taste which cannot be named, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, so now I'm trying to just make it mundane, right? I'm in terms of your being is the same way. When you when you land in the, your beingness, the, the core of who you are, you can't really talk about it because it's it, it's like the taste of cheesecake. <laughs> you can't really describe it. It's not the same thing as the tasting. It's not the same thing as the experiencing of the Grand Canyon versus a picture. So the point of all of this is simply landing in your experience of now is a practice. The practice is important. It can change your life in a dramatic way. For people who feel like they, they just don't have the time, there's a saying in the mindfulness circles, People, a client says, oh, I just don't have time to meditate for 10 minutes. Again. Oh, okay, for you, 20 minutes. <laughs> and it doesn't really have to be a big deal, but there has to be some effort. And it really gets down to if you want to actually connect to the richness of the, of the life that you were born to have, this is how to do it. I mean, there are some other ways, but they're all sensory based and I'm not talking about you know it doesn't have to be off the charts sensory like you don't have to jump out of a plane or or go f free climbing I mean you will have an in the moment experience if you do that but you don't have to have it be that extreme just to look at a flower and go whoa and feel yourself connected to something so big can't really talk about it that well. <laughs> and then when someone, when you learn to, to carry around those kinds of sensitivities, take that to work. You sit down in a room. You're sitting at the table. You're looking around at all the faces. You're feeling each person there. Like for me, it's like they're notes. It's like there's, they're like little, they're like notes on a, in a symphony or something. What's the quality of that note? Oh, that's a sad one. That's confused. That's stressed. That's present. That's in charge. That's authoritative. That's withdrawn. That's unhappy. You know, and I'm not judging. I'm not saying that's an unhappy person. That's true. I'm just saying that's what's showing up on my my what I call the screen of sensitivity. That's the way it feels to me. So if they come out and they're really different than that, I'm fine with it. But I'm just paying attention to what's it feel like to me. And over the years, because I'm not, you know, I haven't been doing this since yesterday, I, I've, it's gotten pretty refined, and I can lean into the, lean into that sensitivity with um, some authority, I should say. Uh, but I'm not attached to being right. So there's an open awareness that comes with this, just this practice of open awareness. So in the moment, you're connecting to letting yourself be present with the experience of other people, of the stress in your life. You're saying yes to that. You've lived an entire life to get to this moment. 
You have a lot of resources. And you don't have to do anything with it in this second. You don't have to do anything with it. And for some people, just to take a few minutes and go, oh yeah, I, I don't have to decide anything. I don't have to make anything right. I don't have to make myself wrong. I don't have to live up to somebody's expectations right at this moment. I can just take a breath and relax. I hope you can do that more in your world. And if you'd like some help with it, languageofmindfulness.com. I'm happy to talk to you. Thanks.